Hey, hey, well, good morning and welcome again. I'm glad to be together. Did you see that? Four years is coming up. What a beautiful journey it's been. It's, and it's flown by. Uh, it's just been amazing. So excited for what God has done and what God is doing as we uh, continue our facility search, looking for a next step as we continue to deepen in our community engagement. Um, it's a beautiful thing. I am excited about that. So, have you ever asked the question, what's required? Or like, what do I really have to do? Uh, how do I engage a situation? Um, so I, I remember when I was first married, uh, the question was a little different. Um, the question was, what can I do to please my spouse, right? Um, you get married and, and we move in together and, uh, and, and we start living life. You know, I'm, I'm working a job and Sarah's going to school and uh, all these changes in life. But this is exciting and this is new. So it's like, what can I do to please my spouse? You know, I'll do the extra dishes and I'll bring home flowers and all of these things. Now, if your journey is anything like mine, uh, there comes a season in which it's like, what do I have to do to make you happy? That's a very different question, is it not? Right? We get tired and we get busy in life and we find ourselves not asking, what can I do for you? But what do I have to do to make you happy? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> there you go. Do the laundry. So now you heard, you took a note on that, right, Jim? She said, she said, all right. So, um, what do I have to do? I think this is kind of where Israel is at in the text that we're going to engage today. Israel is asking, what in the world do we have to do? Now, the story of Israel, we've talked through a, f- a number of times, but just briefly, Israel is in this covenant relationship with God. He said, I'm going to bless you, and you are going to be a blessing to the whole world. And Israel, time and time again, is losing track of their end of this covenant relationship. Uh, they're, they're turning to other gods, and they're disobeying God's commands, and uh, they are again lost and living in sinful ways that are destructive to themselves and to the nations around them. And uh, we're going to read from my Micah chapter 6 today, and in this text, uh, Micah is a prophet in the Old Testament. Um, Actually, I was named after him, not the other way around. Um, Yeah, so he's a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's coming to Israel telling them, you have messed up. God is bringing judgment. And, and during Micah's lifetime is when the Assyrians will invade and take over Israel. They will, at this point, no longer be a sovereign nation with their own king and their own rulers and their own ways, but they will be a vassal state of another nation in the lifetime of Micah. And so Micah's here saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. And God has made an appeal to them. When have I wronged you? Did I not free you from slavery? Reminding them time and time again of the journey that they've been on together. And yet Israel is is living in errant ways. And so in Micah chapter 6, before the passage that we're going to that we're going to read, um, God uh, is speaking to Israel and uh, Micah is giving just like this really practical like, so so what do we bring to God to make him happy? Um, and in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals or they would sacrifice grain or their oils as kind of worship. And they would receive atonement. They would receive, receive forgiveness as they um, engaged in these practices of sacrifice. That was a part of the law and the system in which they lived. And so the question is posed, so if we bring thousands of rams and sacrifice them to God, would he be happy? Or, you know, they're asking this question, what do I have to do 
to make you happy now. They say, if I bring 10,000 rivers of oil, would that please the Lord? And Micah comes up with this, or God, through Micah, says these words. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has showed you, O man, or person, or O mortal, or person, he has showed you, people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Go ahead and leave that passage up there a minute while we, while we kind of contemplate. I, I want to resonate in this. Uh, act justly or do justice, it's often translated. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. I love it in Scripture when things become really simple. The Israelites are living now under the burden of thousands of laws. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees will continue to add laws to their nation and, and create a greater burden that rests upon the shoulders of any Israelite person, and they find themselves just bogged down, weighed down by a system, a law, a covenant that they cannot and are not living up to. They find themselves incredibly lost and feeling distant from God, so God what would make you happy? I'll bring sacrifices. And he says, how about this? Start with justice, mercy, and humility in your walk with me. These are some of my favorite words in Scripture. They're remarkable. And yet, in their simplicity, uh, in the simplicity of boiling so much down into these three statements, I think there's incredible complexity. If we want to take it beyond the conceptual level, and begin to live it out, I believe there's a lot of complexity. So I want to dig into that for a moment today in our time together. What does it look like to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? Let's begin with justice. God says, do justice, be just. I decided not to show it today, but if um, uh, you're kind of a, vi- a visual learner and want another resource on justice. The Bible Project has a phenomenal video on justice, um, and I'd encourage you to pull that up and, and watch that. It's a great conversation piece and teaches us a lot. I did a lot of reading and, and watching and, and studying on the subject of justice this last week, and we've been in an interesting journey as a church. We've pulled together a team uh, discussing reconciliation, and reconciliation is the idea of bringing two that are separated back into right relationship. Reconciliation deals with racial issues. It deals with injustice of many different kinds in our community, and so we've been talking on the subject for, of justice for a long time, and here's the thing. Justice can be tricky. Doing justice can be quite tricky because any one of us in this room has a little bit different idea of what it would look like for our nation or our community or our workplace to be just. We each come with our own biases and experiences, our own blind spots. We all come with all of this baggage to a conversation of justice. So what in the world is justice? Like, what does it look like? I want to read a little bit from... um, Adam Taylor, who wrote uh, an article for World Vision a while back, and I'm going to put it up on the screen because this will help to put a little bit of meat and idea behind this idea of justice that we're talking about today. He says this, uh, social justice has its biblical roots in a triune God, and as a God who exists in three, uh, a triune God 
who time and time again shows his love and compassion for the weak, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the disheartened, the disinherited. For Christians, the pursuit of social justice for the poor and the oppressed is the decisive mark of being people who submit to the will of God, writes Tim Dearborn in, uh, in his book. Biblical references to the word justice mean to make right. Justice is first and foremost a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, one another, and the natural creation. From a scriptural point of view, justice means loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and is rooted in the character and nature of God. As God is just and loving, so we are called to do justice and to live in love. Now, there's a lot in there. Um, he, he speaks in here about social justice for the poor and the oppressed. Um, and he speaks of this, uh, this concept that carries probably a lot of baggage for a lot of us, social justice and how do we bring it about and a subject that is far bigger than we are. But I love the clarification in here that it, uh, that it speaks to especially the poor and oppressed, the marginalized, the people on the edges of a society, that those pursuing social justice have eyes to see the hurting, have eyes to see the needs in a community and a heart that is willing to engage. He says social justice is a relational term having to do with relationship with God, with others, and with the natural creation. Now, I think most of us could get on board with saying, yeah, justice would have to do with being in, in right relationship with God. It would have to do with right relationship with others. And then many of us might kind of balk at the idea of it natural creation, right relationship with creation. And yet, I think there's something really beautiful in this concept and uh, something remarkable for us as followers of Jesus. Um, we believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth, a God that created and placed humanity on earth to care for it. In, in fact, that was their first and only task and job, was to care for the earth and the animals. We see in the book of Genesis uh, quickly the fall of mankind and things got more difficult and our pursuits became varied in many directions. But I just want to bring us back to this simple idea. It's not the main point of today's conversation, but uh, justice has to do also with the things that God created. I love green spaces in our cities and our neighborhoods. Now, we live in kind of a large suburban area in reality in the Tri-Cities uh, without uh, the high-rises and all that stuff, um, but it's especially a pertinent conversation in big city planning to have green spaces, to have nature still present in our place. Uh, I was talking with a member today who's really involved with the, um, with the Greenway, what's it, what's it called? Tapped Hill Greenway, um, trying to keep that smallest water source in the Tri-Cities um, active and healthy, uh, trying to care for that area. Um, and I think those are beautiful things. At any rate, uh, Adam Taylor here defined for us uh, some of justice, having to do with relationship with God, with self, and with others. Further, we see a kind of a definition and an idea in Scripture of what does justice look like? Uh, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, at this point, another prophet who's come to Israel, and um, 
And he's calling them out because they're not living in just ways. He says in Jeremiah 22, 3, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. And then he goes on to kind of uh, couch this for us, to, to put some, some meat on it for us. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. You know, speaking to an audience, Israel, who was an exclusive nation, who fought wars with nations around them, who were to be, in some respects, an isolated people that shone God's love in the world around them, <clears throat> this is a powerful and interesting statement, one that I think sometimes we lose track of when we think of the Old, hist- the Old Testament and God as he relates to Israel. He, he says in here, rescue, a- an active posture of engaging in rescuing and caring for those that are in need. Uh, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner. Live at peace with people that are different from yourselves. A- and care for, of course, the widows and the orphans, and this is a theme repeated over and over in Israelite history. I was talking a while back with Brian Ace. Um, he's the director of the Boys and Girls Club here in the Tri-Cities, an amazing Christian man. And um, uh, he, he, asked that, he asked this question that kind of drives his life and the way he engages in our community. He said, yeah, but who are the orphans and the widows today? You know, he says in in our culture, this this is a concept that's broader than just whether or not they have a father in the household, which is very significant, and those are people we ought to be looking out for, or not just a concept of whether or not their spouse is living, though that's very important. We should still engage in that. He says this is a principle that goes far beyond that. Who are the people on the margins of our society, the people that don't have a voice, the people that can't care for themselves or do for themselves the things that will bring opportunity in life? This is the challenge of the conversation of justice. Who and how will we engage in our communities? Now, World World Vision, uh, whom I, I read a little bit of an article from earlier, uh, for 70 years has been doing this thing where um, they pair people with uh, a child that doesn't have enough resources to receive the nutrition he or she needs to uh, to function, um, to go to school and to learn. Um, uh, our cognitive ability is related to our nutrition, right? Um, and so World Vision pairs families. So years ago, Sarah and I began supporting uh, a kid in Honduras um, who, who he receives enough food in a week uh, to be able to to go to school and to survive. And World Vision is this beautiful organization that gives opportunity for us to engage in subjects of justice where people do not have the ability um, uh, to uh, empower their own lives. We get to come alongside them and, and provide resources. But just about a week and a half or two weeks ago, I saw this article that World Vision is changing uh, for the first time in 70 years the way they go about uh, this pairing process. In the past, we would have had on a back table um, a, a ton of different pictures of kids, and we would look through them and say, okay, that's the kid I choose. He's going to receive the money. And that was probably fine and okay, but uh, they have switched the, the paradigm. 
They've turned it upside down. And what they now do is if I say I want to sponsor a child, I want to I help a child uh, in need, uh, they now take the pictures of families and individuals uh, wanting to support children, and they bring them to a community. And they present them in front of the children, and the children get to look for that person, that family, that they feel a connection with. And they say, that's the family I want to partner with. Talk about like empowering, giving voice to someone that doesn't have a voice. I love this. I think this is beautiful and remarkable. As we consider justice, we consider not being the savior, the one that chose to save this one, but we consider how in the world do we give voice to people that don't have one? How do we empower people in ways that enable them to believe in their inherent ability and goodness that inspires their drive to engage? and provides for them opportunities and resources to then thrive in those ways in life. So justice is not merely an ideal or a principle, uh, but an action or a way of being in life. The, Micah 6 says, do justice, engage in justice. And this will happen on many levels in our lives. It'll happen in our workplaces, the ways we advocate for or manage or speak up when we are the victim of unjust workplaces. It'll happen in our community and in our society. It'll happen on the subjects of racial reconciliation. It'll happen on the subject of wage uh, and, and care for for our migrant workers. It'll happen on the subjects of immigration. Across the board, as a nation, justice matters to those of us who follow Jesus. Justice, uh, to me, um, at its heart, has to do with seeing the dignity and the image of God in all people. Right? It's really easy to overlook the hardest people to engage. Like When it comes to the homeless in our community, it is really easy to overlook. And we won't always have a solution for every individual and every, every place. But I think it begins with like the eyes or the way we begin to perceive the world around us. Justice invites us to have eyes that see the dignity and the image of God in all people. Micah 6 8 goes on to say, so do justice and love mercy. Mercy in, in its simplest definition is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is within one's power to punish or to harm. Now, love mercy, this is an interesting term because I think it goes two ways. It's both loving the mercy that God has given us. And for most of us that have followed Jesus uh, in our lives, we have some concept of the idea that uh, I have sinned, I am broken, and yet God in his mercy has shown grace, has sent Jesus and given hope. So love mercy begins with our appreciation towards God for what he's done for us. Uh, but showing mercy is maybe a different and more convoluted conversation. Like, what does it look like for me to show mercy in my life? Let me preface with this. Showing mercy is not an act of weakness or accidental in its nature. God demonstrates mercy for us in intentionality and with strength. Like, God engages in mercy. It's not a sign of weakness to show mercy, to not punish, or to not uh, bring about um, some sort of consequence for action in life, but it's a strong posture from which God says, I love you enough that I will send my son. 
It's from a strong place that we would consider showing forgiveness in the lives of other people. As Micah continues, uh, Micah 6.18 says, uh, Who is a God like you? He's just contemplating this vast and powerful God who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. That's speaking of Israel. So you pardon the sins and transgressions of Israel. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Mercy is in the nature of God, and we are invited to be a merciful people. Um, can I just mention a really hot-button subject? <laughs> Let me do it. Let's see what happens. Um, uh, incarceration in the U.S. is, like, off the charts. Uh, compared to other nations, uh, compared uh, through history, uh, incarceration in the U.S. is a real challenge. It's a financial burden on our nation. Quite often, people come out of our prison systems uh, more jaded and more likely to offend than uh, they had been previously in their circumstances. And when it comes to mercy, I, the, one of the things that came to mind um, it's just that our, judici- our judicial system could probably use some more restorative measures instead of just punitive ones. And and this is a very active conversation, and, and I don't say this to say you have to think like me or believe like me, but throughout our nation, there's conversations and initiatives trying to bring about restorative measures that still have a punitive element to it. I mean, there's a punishment and a consequence for uh, crimes committed, but an invitation also to leave prison with or, or to leave whatever uh, the the sentence is with some sort of training and some sort of opportunity to engage in a new life. This is this is kind of the subject of justice and mercy, and I don't want to bring that out as the exclusive one, but this is one in our nation that I think is significant. God is a God that delights in mercy, and we too get to choose mercy. And I think in our day-to-day lives, maybe the word mercy could be easily, uh, most easily understood um, as forgiveness, right? It's similar, not the exact same thing. Um, but a God who has forgiven us, uh, forgiveness can be hard to give. You know, forgiveness can be hard to receive also. Whether it's from God or another person, it's a vulnerable place. Uh, but mercy and forgiveness, they're the way of God, and they're God's invitation to his people. And finally, humility. Um, Philippians 2 speaks directly to the subject of what does humility look like? Uh, Philippians 2, 3, um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, uh, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even on a cross. This is the story of humility that we read in Philippians 2. Jesus, in all of his power and authority and opportunity in heaven, humbles himself and becomes a baby, right? Becomes a child, completely cared for by his parents. He grows up and he chooses a posture of humility and service in the world around him. And Paul says, so like Jesus did it, let's do the same. 
let's be humble. Let's choose service over our own um, our own desires or our own elevation. We're invited to walk humbly with other people. We're invited to choose a humble posture as we engage in conversations, as we consider the subjects of justice and mercy, to choose a humble posture. But ultimately, it doesn't just have to do with a humble posture in our relationship with other people. It says walk humbly with your God. And for me, walking humbly with God means placing God in his proper place. He is God, and I am not. It means trusting and bending to his will instead of pursuing only our own to trust in God and to choose his way. And here's the thing. Micah 6, 8 says, um, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And these are not unreasonable requests from a God simply trying to pile more rules on the life of the Israelite people. Remember, this was a summation. This was like a, this is what God desires. God, what do you want us to do? He says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with me. This can be simple in many ways. These are the requests of a God, though, that didn't want to just pile on extra rules, but actually these requests represent the very nature of God. They represent who God is. You see, the way of Jesus is the way of justice, mercy, and humility. In in Jesus came justice, that he would bear the consequence of our sin, that he would receive what we would have. This is bringing about justice. And, And yet, it's not a justice that brought about consequence for us, but instead it was absolute mercy and that he would take on that burden, that we would not receive what we deserve, but instead this gift of hope and salvation. Jesus demonstrated humility in taking on human flesh, and he postured himself towards God's will and plan. He chose humility in the ways that he lived. In Micah 6, 8, uh, the first words, they were easy to overlook, and I, I wanted to go back to them as we close out today. He has showed you what is good. Now, uh, we talked a lot of, about a lot of stuff, and I know that justice or mercy or these things are volatile and, and challenging conversations, especially when we talk to, start talking on the level of society and legislation and all of these things. These are complex topics. But Jesus says, or, or Micah, God through Micah says, he has showed you what is good. Justice, mercy, humility, these are good things. It, it, the invitation for us today is not one of uh, of a forced position where we have to go and engage in something. I think the promise of Micah 6, 8, the promise to the people of Israel, and I think it extends to us today, is that God is showing us a good way. That in 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 pursuing justice and mercy in seeing people through the lens of a God that created and placed his image in the lives of even the most marginalized people among us. God's image is there, and in pursuing justice and mercy, we find goodness. We find relationship. We find reconciliation in those relationships, in those opportunities. He says, this is good. Come and walk humbly with me 
and find my goodness. God has showed us what is good. God has showed us good ways of being and living. Let's pray. God, I just ask that today, as we engage uh, a simple and yet complex and challenging uh, concept, that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that you will open our hearts, that we can consider what does it look like in my place of life to engage in just things for people around me, to show mercy and forgiveness towards people in my life. God, teach us to walk humbly with you. This week, God, I pray that um, you will give us opportunities to see um, where just things may not exist around us. Give us new eyes to see things. Uh, God, as, as we are wronged or as we feel hurt, I pray that you will give us spirits of mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As our benediction and our closing words today, I'll just recite the words of Micah 6.8. May we know God's good plan for our lives. May we act justly. May we love mercy. And may we walk humbly with our God. Have a blessed week.